Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 51. Verses 1 through 4 and then verse 17. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless to our understanding the reading. Amen. Luke tells us right away and up front what this parable is about and exactly who it is told for. Jesus tells it for those who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Wow. This parable for me? This parable for you? Are you confident that you just have it all together with God? Do you see somebody else, other people, as lower than you? This parable is about two men. And what a contrast these two figures would have been to those who are listening to this parable. It would be like, kind of like saying this, two men go into a church to pray. One is a pastor, one is a drug dealer. And there are assumptions about these two figures, this Pharisee and this tax collector, right away. Pharisee, well, he's religious, he's devout, he's a seeker of God. Tax collector, he cheats, he lies, he steals people's money, he can't be trusted, and he's not religious. Those assumptions about these two people are what Jesus challenges by telling this parable. Let's remind ourselves who the Pharisees were, okay? Okay. Pharisee, the title actually comes from a Hebrew word that means separatist. Pharisees were a separatist group from most of religious Israel. Um, In the book of Acts, they're referred to as a sect. Pharisees were not priests. They were not religious uh, 
professional religious people, priests or pastors. As a matter of fact, they didn't think the pastors or priests of Israel were strict enough with God's word. Pharisees were lay people, and they came from various classes, various uh, professions in Jewish society. But they knew their scriptures, and they were admired because of this. They were strict in their observance of the Bible, and in their zeal for God's word, sometimes they looked down on other people who maybe they didn't think were doing God's word as they should be. They carried a big Bible, and they didn't mind whapping over people the head, over the head and hurt them if they weren't keeping God's word like they thought it should be kept. Well, tax collectors were on the total other end of the social spectrum. They worked for the Roman government and they were considered leeches on society, traitors. Uh, tax collectors were extortionists. They uh, would collect taxes for Caesar and then they would take extra from the people because there were no checks on what they were doing. Uh, The government basically allowed tax collectors to do whatever they wanted to do as long as Rome got its payment. After that, tax collectors, you can take whatever you want, however you want to do it. We're not going to worry about it. If you couldn't pay your taxes, tax collectors would surely take something. They might take your land, they might take your oxen, which in those days would be your livelihood. If you couldn't pay, they might take your son or your daughter as a slave. Tax collectors were bad news. Remember, the religious leaders were just astounded and shocked when Jesus had meals with tax collectors. Well, in this parable, the Pharisee stands by himself in the temple. Uh, Perhaps he does this because he He doesn't want to become unclean from standing too near to those who may not be as religiously clean as he is. Remember, in first century Judaism, to be ritually clean was very important. People literally took baths, ritual baths, before they would go up and into the temple. Imagine if we had about eight or nine tubs out in the front and and you all had to kind of get in it and wash before you came into this place. That was the idea. And to come into contact with people who were sick or who they knew were immoral or who were on the fringes was to become unclean and it would affect your standing with God. So the Pharisee prays apart from everybody else. He stands alone and he prays to God. And first of all, in his prayer, he thanks God for himself, the Pharisee. And then he thanks God that he's not like other people who do wretched things. And then he thanks God that he's not like people who steal and are rough and commit adultery. He even thanks God that he's not like that guy praying over there the same time that he is. You ever looked across the sanctuary and said, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm glad I'm not like her. And then the Pharisee provides God with a record of his goodness. He reminds God how he fasts twice a week. He reminds God how he gives money. And prayer, fasting, giving money, those were the three pillars of Jewish spirituality. The Pharisee seems to want to impress God with his spirituality. The Pharisee is the major subject of his own prayer. The tax collector stands far off. 
by the way, where these two men stand in the parable is important. It's important. And the tax collector can't even look at God. Keeps his distance, looking down, thoroughly sorry for his life, and all he prays is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow. How different that prayer is from the prayer of the Pharisee. No self-congratulations. No summary of how good his life is. No sense that God should be honored by knowing him or obligated to him. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of sorrow. The Pharisee is at the very heart of the temple. The, The church, if you would. The tax collector... It's even shocking to see him there. Why did he? We've never seen that many tax collectors come here. He's very much on the fringes. The Pharisee, boy, he gives money. He's generous. The tax collector, he steals money. The Pharisee is self-righteous. He's self-promoting. The tax collector can't even bear to look at God. Just beats his chest in a sign of sorrow. Two men went to the temple to pray. And Jesus says it's the tax collector who went back home and he was justified and he went back home right with God, not the Pharisee. Did I miss something? If I pray, and I'm religiously devout and I live a good, clean, moral life as best I can, doesn't? I mean, doesn't that make me good with God? And if I, if I cheat and if I steal and if I make life miserable for others and, and no thought for spiritual things, doesn't that mean I'm on the outs with God? The tax collector goes home justified with God. Evelyn Underhill read this parable and she said, that the tax collector, tax collector had a desperate sense of his own need and his own imperfection, while the Pharisee was dressed in his own self-esteem. Now, I'm not much of a card player, but I know this. You want to have the best cards in your hand to take as many tricks as you can in a card game. Well, Evelyn Underhill said, God plays a game with the soul, a card game called The Loser Wins. And in this game, the one who holds the poorest cards does the best. You see, the Pharisee's consciousness that he had such an excellent hand really prevented him from taking a single trick. He thought he had all the cards. You know, there's a real danger for those of us who've been kind of born into the faith. You know what I mean? Um, We've maybe been raised in a church, maybe nurtured in the Christian life, always been kind of good And the danger for us, I think, is that we may not have ever had a sense of our need for God's mercy. Um, And it can easily lead to kind of a Pharisee-like attitude, you know, to say, well, I've never really needed to be sorrowful because I've I've really never done anything, I mean, really, really bad. Um, We've estimated ourselves as good, moral, lovely people. We've always been on the inside and, and maybe even subtly, we kind of begin to look down on those on the outside. You know, there were those of us, some of you, you were not born into homes 
where faith was honored or practiced. Uh, there are those who have backgrounds sometimes, their lives, it's just been full of brokenness, it's been full of dysfunction. You never knew what church was. Just, this year, j- just recently, our, our wonderful director of children's ministry, Ruth, Rudy, um, had a conversation with a little girl who, who was in this church because of Girl Scouts. She came here because her troop met here, and Ruth struck up a conversation with this child, as Ruth is very good at doing, meeting children, and this little girl literally, literally had never heard who Jesus was. Didn't know his name, didn't have a clue, and never heard him. You know, some people were born into things that were far from having anything to do with God. Some were born into circles of addiction or, or harshness and immorality. You know, parents drank and, and people fought and they were exposed to dark and oppressive things. You might say they were born on the outside apart from any relationship with God. I think about the grace I've been shown in my life. I, just, this is just my story, your story is your story, but mine, I, am, I was born a white male into, with excellent health into a middle-class Christian home where, where Christ was practiced. Uh, I was raised in a stable and safe neighborhood. I had a vast array of wonderful opportunities. I, I knew what a good church was that nurtured me. Okay, what if I'd been born a white male in the deep south, in the 30s or the 40s, to a grandfather and father who'd been clansmen, and I'd been taught to be cruel and to hate and to burn down the homes and to burn down the churches of those people. Who or what would I be? You see, there go I, but the grace of God. You heard that phrase? And I mean by the grace of God. Jesus told the parable for those who were confident in their own righteousness. Now, if you were born on the inside... Understand that it is God's grace that has worked in our hearts for us to live for him, just as it is grace that reaches people who are on the outside. This afternoon, we're going to baptize a young woman, Haley, up in Mill Creek Canyon, and um, she was not born into the faith. Now, I don't want to steal Haley's thunder. She's going to share a little bit of her story up there, but she didn't begin to understand that she could have a relationship with God until she was a teenager uh, through, through ministries like, like this church and, and some other places. Nothing was automatic for her. But this afternoon, she's going to be wedded to Christ. She is going to be united to him in death and in life through her baptism. And I am thankful for places like the Mount. Haley comes to the Mount on Sunday nights and and this church where people who were once thought to be on the fringes, maybe thought they were on the fringes, uh, can realize, can come, realize they are accepted, they can be loved by God and have a relationship with Him. Psalm 51 is David's cry for God's mercy in his life. After he had stolen a man's wife, committed adultery with her, and then tried to cover it up by killing that woman's husband and trying to cover up the whole mess. It is a psalm of deep and heartfelt brokenness. David says to God, it's against you only that I've sinned. You, God, and you are justified in your judgment of me. He understands how he's violated 
his relationship with God. He makes no excuses. He doesn't make any rationalizations. He is not confident in his own righteousness. And then he prays this. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. And who tremble at my word. Contrite, by the way, it means to be sorrowful. It means to have regret. It means to have remorse. Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces those sins finds mercy. The tax collector did not conceal his sin. He had a broken and contrite heart, and he went home good with God. Jesus is also clear in the parable to say the Pharisee did not go home good with God. The Pharisee was deluded in his own self-justification, chose to create his own morality, chose to create his own spirituality and do it in the name of God. He was dressed in his own righteousness. He wasn't dressed in the righteousness of God. Oh, God save us from leaving this church and justifying ourselves week after week under the illusion that we're just fine with God in and of ourselves. And I'm afraid I've done that sometimes. God save us from coming to church or doing any other act of goodness or faith during the week and think we do it because we're so good. Maybe we should say, you know why I'm going to church on Sunday? You know why I go to the, why I go to the house of the Lord? is because I'm a person deeply in need. And I am sinful, and I need God's mercy, and I need it every day and every week. Can't make it without God. Now, Jesus gives a tagline to the parable. And this is the tagline. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee exalted himself. And he went home under the illusion that all was fine with him and God and his prayer was thankfulness that he wasn't like others and he was humbled. By the way, I suppose we've got to be careful that we don't end up praying the same thing and making the same mistake and say, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this self-confident, hyper-religious Pharisee. I thank you that I'm humble. You know, we can, we can make the same mistake, can't we? Humility takes so much energy. It really does, I tell you. The, the tax collector humbles himself. He goes home justified. And he was exalted. All the tax collector prayed was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there are others in the Gospels, not in this parable, not in parables, who we hear pray the same thing to Jesus uh, I think of blind Bartimaeus who cried out to Jesus, have mercy on me, Lord. Same prayer. By the way, praying for mercy generally in the Scriptures goes over very well. God and Jesus usually respond really well when you pray for mercy if you just look through the whole Bible. The prayer of the tax collector, the prayer of Bartimaeus, and some others who pray for the mercy of God have been adopted into something called the Jesus prayer. Have you ever heard the Jesus prayer? The Jesus prayer is simply this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. 
It's simple, not wordy, but one that recognizes our need, a prayer of humility. Anyone can pray it. You can pray it any time. And it's been taught and valued particularly out of the Eastern Orthodox tradition of the Christian church. It comes from the wisdom of the desert fathers and mothers in the fourth century. They began this prayer, but it's for all believers and always has been. To pray the Jesus prayer, first of all, one has to commit themselves to Jesus as Lord because that's the first prayer, first word of the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ. Not Jesus as someone just to be admired, not as some great historical figure, but you are the Lord. Frederica Matthews Green says this about the Jesus prayer. She said the effect of the prayer is to knock us down in our own mind. But then you discover it's safe to be knocked down because, and it's safe to be humble because God's love is everywhere, filling the world with life and with light. You know, I wonder if the Pharisee's problem was his spirituality. I wonder if because he thought he was fasting, he was tithing, he was praying, and he did a lot of spiritual things, but his spirituality had become unhitched from his communion with God. And it had become unhitched from that fear, that trembling, that respect, that awe that comes when you have authentic contact with God. Faith had almost become a hobby for him. Folks who seek spirituality over God sometimes fall into the trap of feeling superior and in some way we think we're elevated over ordinary folks. The tax collector had nothing to bank on but that God has love to offer someone who had lived the life that he had lived and that God would be merciful. That's all he had to bank on. There's good news for tax collectors. There's good news for people on the fringes. They may have stolen. They may have been dishonest. They may have a bad past, but a broken and contrite heart and asking for God's mercy will be honored by our gracious Lord. There's good news for us because we may find ourselves not too far from that tax collector, but a broken and contrite heart, God will never turn away. He will never turn it away. Praying for God's mercy can help with that. And Jesus will always respond to a heartfelt prayer for mercy, even from those of us who have wandered into the far lands or to the fringes away from God. We can go home to God and to the Lord. This morning, as we prepare to come to the table, I want to lead us first in a prayer of confession, taking the model of this tax collector. And Jesus praised those words, so I think maybe we should listen to him and use them. And I want this to be our prayer response as I lead us. I'll pray, but let's all respond with this prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the prayer. Say it with me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's our response. Let's pray. Holy and awesome God, we have done wrong. 
We've strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed what we want more than what you want. And so we pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we've thought wrong thoughts, and we've spoken words that killed the spirits of others. We've done things which we ought not to have done. So we pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We've made excuses for our behavior. We've rationalized our sin. We've exalted ourselves instead of humbling ourselves. So we pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as we come to this table where we see the life of our Lord in the bread and in the cup, the life of our Lord who sacrificed himself for us on the cross, may our hearts be absolutely broken for the cost to you to redeem us and bring us to you. And so we pray, God, mercy on me, a sinner. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. We thank you, Jesus, that your death, your rising from the dead, has erased all our sins. And we thank you for your mercy, which gives us what we don't deserve. And we thank you for grace, which restores us to you. As we approach this table, we humble ourselves to lift up others in prayer. We lift up our elders of this church that they would lead us with hearts full of your spirit, lead with wisdom, lead with humility, lead with strength. We pray for the mount and its outreach and that it would be a community of unity and love and where people, sometimes on the fringes, can come and experience you, Jesus. We pray for Audrey Quayley, for Austin, for the challenges they face in their health, that you would, Lord, be gracious to them. We pray for Peter's full recovery from prostate cancer. And Lord, we give you praise and glory for Avery Christine, Jackie Longmore's fifth great-grandchild. Holy Spirit, would you come and transform these elements and transform us to a closer conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. It's in his name we share this meal, and it is in his name that we come now with confidence. Amen.